As I've been thinking about my mom recently, uh, two things have been coming up pretty consistently. The first is that for me at any rate, I don't think we truly understand our parents until we're adults and perhaps even parents ourselves. There was always her worry about things I wanted to do when I was young, worry that seemed confining and unreasonable until I had my son to worry about. I imagine her 25 years old bringing me home from the hospital. I remember being struck by the awesome weight of being responsible for another person, a tiny one wholly dependent, and realizing that I had no idea what I was doing. I was figuring it out as I went and making mistakes and doing my best. I watch my son now worrying about his children, wondering if he's doing the right thing, and I want to tell him, relax, it'll all work out like it did for my mom with me and for me with him. There were all the opportunities and experiences that she made possible for me, like car rides back and forth to band practices in my first job, or driving for hours in the early morning so we could go skiing. As a kid, you take those for granted, unaware of the sacrifice, until you're juggling sports, scouts, and carpools for your own child. And there was how she always wanted the best for me and was fiercely protective. Some 30 years ago, when Corning closed my office and I lost my job, she promptly got rid of all her Corning ware. You know, those white casserole dishes with the blue flowers. I've also thought about the idea of a legacy. I think most people think of legacy as something grand. For me, it's simpler than that. It's the things that she passed down to me through how she lived her life, the experiences that we shared. One was around food. My mom had a, food, a few food specialties, two come to mind, fried green tomatoes and shrimp curry. I'd been making fr fried green tomato sandwiches every summer for years before I finally uncovered her secret to making ones that tasted much better than my own, bacon. I can't make these without thinking of her, and yes, I use bacon now, and they still aren't quite as good. Shrimp curry was another favorite of hers going back to my childhood. I have her recipe in my recipe box, Mom's Shrimp Curry, it's called. I've now made it often enough that for some people it's known as Mary Ann's Curry. Another legacy of hers to me was her love of books and reading. She rarely went anywhere without a book in hand. Once a week when I was little, we'd go to the library to return some books and wander the stacks to find new ones to bring home. Years later, we would meet halfway between my home and hers to wander through Borders Bookstore because you can never have too many books. This would come back to haunt her later when I had developed the habit of re reading every evening to my three-year-old. He was staying with my parents and fell asleep early on the couch. My mom shooed him upstairs to go to bed. He woke up again around 3 a.m., marched himself into my parents' room and said, Grandmother, you didn't read to me. I watch him now reading to his young children and I see the legacy of my mother to me, me to him, and him to his children. There's a through line from her to me to her grandson and on to her great-grandchildren, her legacy. It's a rich, warm, and loving one. And I will be forever grateful for her presence in my life, showing me the wonders the world has to offer, showing me how to be a good person, showing me how to be a mother. Mom, you will be missed and never forgotten.
props. So when my dad died, I read a little bit of a letter that I had written to my dad about the things that I had learned from him. Because I think it's always important that they know that you learn something after all that work. And much of what I learned from my mom were the same things that I learned from my dad, obviously. How to be a good person, you know, love of family, love of siblings, love of extended family, and all the good times and memories that you have together, and to keep those going. I learned how to be diligent and work hard, things that both parents and mother always instilled in us. The nice thing about always having a good book now is thank goodness for smartphones, because now with my Amazon Kindle, I've always got a good book. Probably the strongest thing I realized over the last month that maybe my mother taught me was how to be a strong person, especially when you get toward the end of your life and you sort out all the things that you've done and you try and find your way as you go to your final place with God. So I appreciate that strength. And now I know that when it becomes my time, it might be easy. I might find peace more quickly like my father, or I might work through it like my mother, but I'll know I'm gonna work through it. The pictures out front, if you look at those, you would have a sense of what my mother loved. The beach, books, children, cats. Um, and one of the things that she particularly enjoyed was listening to my father play the piano. And my dad had written a song for my mom back on February 28, 1954, called Suzanne. And kind of related to that, my mother would always give us gifts for Christmas that she knew were in an area of interest. She never bought me a horse, but every year I got something that had to do with horses. Something small, a little bigger, but it was always horses. And she bought this little music box for dad, my guess is, probably since they'd been in Kansas. Um, and you could write your own little tunes. And I don't know what my dad did, but I'm pretty sure that if there was a piano in heaven, he would be playing that song, Suzanne, for her as she came through the gates. And so I put it on the music box. I want to thank my church family for coming today. I think the greatest thing I'd have to thank my mother for is for her teaching me about Jesus. And I can remember uh, 
when she was my Sunday school teacher and how much I enjoyed that. And we had many discussions over the years and I know how happy she was to find this church family and to have a chance to join this church before she died. There's just no way to adequately talk about somebody's life in the short time we have. Um, I wish you could have known her longer. And I think about something that is, if I had to say one thing that I would want you to know about her um, and that, that was meaningful to me, it was the so many conversations that we had when we did things together. You know, whether it was I'd, I'd go with her grocery shopping in the summertime or she and I would go up to Richmond uh, Sunday afternoons to watch old-fashioned double feature movies. Um, she and I took some vacations together. Um, she took me out of school to go picking strawberries and we all got taken out of school to go see the, the fall leaves up in the Shenandoah Mountains. She had many interests. Um, she loved to pick up rocks, and she loved trees. But no matter what we were doing, she had time to listen, and we had time to have some lovely conversations. Insanely long phone conversations when I was in the Coast Guard or away from home, uh, after school. I learned a lot about my mother through those conversations, and, and she listened to my ideas and things that I thought were important. And uh, I just, there was so much to her that, that it was a pleasure and a privilege for me to get to know her and to love her like I did. So I'm going to start out with a passage from Scripture. At first, it might seem a little bit out of place for this, but hopefully I'll, I'll tie it in for you. This is a passage everyone is familiar with, I'm sure. It's 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through 13. And Paul writes this, he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind, Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. 
And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, start out with a quick story. Uh, one night when I was about 14 years ago, so this had to be almost 50 years ago now, so I was about 14 years old, I was babysitting just down the street from our house in Prince George for the Howards. You remember the little boys' names. I couldn't remember their names. But the Howards owned this split-level home. Uh, they had two little boys, and I'd gotten there, I don't know, 6 or 7 o'clock. And about midnight, I had fallen asleep in the lower level of the house watching Johnny Carson. And while I was there sleeping on the couch, there was this loud crash out in the garage. Somebody was trying to break into the house. Scared the bejeebers out of me, as you might imagine. And so I rushed upstairs, and fortunately for me, the two little boys were sleeping together in their parents' bedroom. I locked myself in the bedroom with them. Downstairs, the Howard's dog had started barking like crazy. There was grass that was breaking, and things were being knocked over and thrown about. It sounded as whoever had broken in was trying to destroy the place. And so I did the only logical thing I could do. I called home and got my mother. Now, Mom told me to stay put behind the locked door. She called the sheriff's office, and then she came charging down the street, dressed in her pink nightgown. You all remember the pink nightgown that she always wore, a little bit of lace up along the top. She had only in her pink nightgown with a baseball bat in her hand. She left Dad asleep in bed. I guess he had to go to work the next day. But Mom was there. So Mom, in her nightgown with the baseball bat, and the sheriff's deputy and the Howards all arrived at the house at just about the same time. The deputy entered the lower floor and he quickly took the intruder into custody. And it was only then that I discovered that this home invasion had been committed by a cat that had somehow gotten up on the roof of the Howards' home, had fallen down the chimney, which was the loud crash I first heard, and then the Howard's dog was chasing that full cat around the house, knocking everything over in the lower level. Now, it turned out okay, and we can laugh about it in hindsight, I certainly do. But I'll never forget three things about that night. First of all, there was the terror of the moment. I was absolutely petrified. Shortly followed by the absolute embarrassment when I realized what had happened with the Howards there and the sheriff's deputy there and my mother with her baseball bat and her nightgown. I was absolutely embarrassed. But thirdly, there was the love and the fearlessness and the willingness to sacrifice herself that my mother showed by coming to my rescue when I was fearful and afraid and in danger. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. I started thinking about this passage when I did a wedding a few days after mother died. I had arrived early, this was an outdoor wedding, and I had nothing to do but sit there in the, in the heat under a big oak tree and think. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most popular readings for weddings. I've always thought that a bit funny because it really isn't written for, for weddings. It can certainly be very helpful for young couples learning how to live together, but it had nothing to do with marriage per se, and there are many greater passages uh, that you could, you could use in a wedding to help understand what a marriage is supposed to be. But Paul was obviously trying to make a point that there's a way that Christians must behave towards one another. We must be patient, kind, not overawed with ourselves. We must bear hurts from one another in patience and with forgiveness. 
We must reject falsehood. We must love the truth. It's a tall order of behaviors, and we are called to live, and none of us really does it very well. But here's the thing. We all do have an example of one who lived his life the way Paul said it should be lived. And in fact, as we well know, he is the only one who ever lived these traits perfectly. Our lives at their best are pale imitations of the example that Jesus set for us. And in fact, one might well say that these words that Paul wrote were given as a description of our Lord, a description that we can only hope to imitate in our lives. Jesus loved with a love that was never empty or shallow. He spoke the truth, but it was never to inflict pain, but rather to help his hearers see where they were coming up short, to turn from their errors, to repent from their sins of both omission and commission, to amend their lives, to live only as those who are free in Christ can truly live. Paul spoke of giving his body to be burned, but without love it would profit him nothing. Now, I'm not sure what my mother really thought she was going to do that night with her baseball bat many years ago, but she charged down that street ready to sacrifice herself in order to save her son because she loved. Well, our Lord loved too, more than we can possibly understand. Jesus' love suffered long and he gave his life on the cross so that we who are spiritually hungry might be fed. Christ bore all things so that we, understanding as a child imperfectly, understands and sees, seeing only through that glass darkly, darkly might someday know him and know the love of the Father and have faith and hope in that love that he showers upon us. Jesus' suffering was not in vain. It freed us from the fear and the weight of our own weaknesses and failures in life. Now, many of you here know from the reports of Robin and James given us in the final month of my mother's life that she seemed to be struggling a great deal with deeds either done or left undone in her 91 years. She faced apprehension and qualms of a long life lived that we will all face with any true self-examination of our own lives. But it's when we face those fears, perhaps especially when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death as she was, that we can rely upon the love of our Lord to pull us through and meet us on the other side. Our Lord did just not model love. God is love. Now, there's a beautiful psalm that we read in our church sometimes on evening prayer services. It's Psalm 103. Bless my soul. And here are a few verses from that psalm. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, long-suffering and of great goodness. He will not always be chiding, neither keepeth he his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. For look how high the heaven is in comparison to the earth. So great is his mercy also toward them that fear him. Look how wide also the east is from the west. So far hath he set our sins from us. Yet like as a father pitieth his own children, even so is the Lord merciful unto them that fear him. For he knoweth whereof we are made. He remembereth that we are but dust. For the days of man are as but grass, for he flourisheth as a flower in the field. For as soon as the wind goeth over it, it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the merciful goodness of the Lord endureth forever and ever upon them that fear him, and his righteousness upon children's children. 
Well, a mother's love will bring her out in the middle of the night in her nightgown and with a baseball bat to help her son. The God that mom has gone to meet will do no less, and in fact, he'll do so much more. He will care, and he will consent to be born of a woman. He will allow his friends to betray him. He will allow those who think they are his enemies to nail him to a cross. He will spend three days in the grave to show us the way out of the cost of our fears. He will rise from the dead and ascend into heaven to prove that he has won the victory for us. He will bring salvation and peace to those who love and seek him. And so we, certainly the family, and all of you here, commend the soul of Althea Suzanne, mom, into his loving hands. And his mercy endureth forever and ever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.